0: So we've been looking at this book of Deuteronomy, and this book is all about what we're to be as his people, the kind of family we're to be. And in the midst of all the nations around, all the people around, pagan nations, God's people were to be different. They were to be generous. They were to be hospitable. Last week, we looked at how they were to be partying. How they would be filled with joy, eating together, enjoying each other, serving each other, inviting people in. And all of that was to show that all the people around would look at that and say, why are you so different? Why are you so different? And the Israelites were meant to say, well, it's because we have an amazing, generous, gracious, hospitable, glorious God. That's why. And they were meant to attract people to Himself through this community. And today we're just going to have a look at this passage in, in Deuteronomy 15, which is, um, which is a beautiful passage. It's a challenging passage, but it's a beautiful one. And it's a challenge that we're to be out of an overflow of God's goodness in our lives to be a just people. And so what I'm going to look at is just three sections. I'm going to look at a vision for justice, that's going to be first four to six. A heart for justice, that's verse 7 to 11. And a power for justice, which is verse 15. So let's look at a vision for justice. Have your bulletin open. And I encourage you to go away afterwards and read through this. This is just really powerful stuff. Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 says this. There will be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. I don't know many people whose heart would not resonate with that. There will be no poor among you. You know, with the the 300,000 kids in Hong Kong who can't afford three meals a day, wouldn't we want them to be well fed? There is elderly people living in drafty nursing homes with nobody to visit them. Wouldn't we want them to be loved and given dignity? There are single mothers. There are people who are abused in their families. Wouldn't we long for them to find acceptance and belonging? Because poverty is spiritual, it's physical, it's economic, it's social, it's relational, it's economic, it's it's economic in all of these different things. Wouldn't we long to see that? There's none of that, none of that poverty. And that's God's vision. That's God's vision for his world. And God says in in this passage, he's going to provide so much for this people who are about to enter into the land of the promised land of blessing. There's going to be enough to go around for everyone. No one should be poor. No one should be poor. That's what, that's what God is saying to his people. And um, uh, Michael Jackson, he, um, he sang, heal the world, make it a better place. I'm not going to sing it. Okay. <laughs> My voice isn't that high. Um, and, but deep down in our hearts, we resonate with that, right? We resonate with that. Because we know there's something fundamentally wrong with the world and with the injustice in the world, and we, we want there to be a, a fix of this, and that is God's heart too. But I don't know, um, I sometimes scroll down the BBC news, and there is like 15 tragedies in the world at one time, and do you know what I do? I... I avoid all of them, clicking all of those stories, and I click on the stories which are like, why did the Victorians electrocute themselves? You know, like like kind of these trivial things, because I don't want to hear about the tragedies of the world, because it's so much need, it's so overwhelming, so I hide in kind of the trivial things. I don't know if anyone else is like me. That's what I'm like. And yet this passage is going to say, God wants his people to face the issue of poverty and need. And in this passage, there are two types of poor people. The desperate poor, they're, they're the people who simply need relief. That's the people in verse 7 to 11. And then there's the struggling poor, those who just need help to get back on their feet. That's the people in debt. That's the slaves in this, in this passage, the servants. And so just to give you like the background of what's going on in this passage to help you understand it. Remember, most wealth and income comes from the land. And and the the passage tells us every seven years, um, and we know this from Leviticus as well and Exodus, every seven years the land was meant to have a rest, okay? And they weren't to work the land, but Exodus 21 tells us they would let the poor eat from the land on their fields, okay? And if you become poor and had to borrow money to survive, your debts in this seventh year would either be canceled or they'd be delayed for at least a year because the those people who had to keep paying back would have less to, to, to provide from their land to repay debts. So they took it all into account. Foreigners, who are mentioned in verse 3, they were traders, so they didn't rely on the wealth of the land. So they, they could keep paying back their debts. But those who had fallen into the pit of poverty sometimes could only sell themselves to someone else because they had no more land, they had nothing else to gain an income from, But Leviticus 25 tells us they would be treated not as slaves. They would be treated just as employees, treated with dignity. And every seven years, they would be set free so that nobody would be permanently enslaved to poverty as a family. All land sales after 50 years... Okay, get this. All land sales after 50 years would go back to the original family. So Li Ka Shing... And his family would not continue inherited wealth, but everyone would be equal again after 50 years. So nobody would have this uh, unbridgeable gap between rich and poor. And the reason for this, Leviticus says, is the land shall not be sold forever because the land is mine and your tenants on my land. This is my world and your tenants here on what I have given you. And God is loaning this land of blessing to the people. And what he says is, with great blessing comes great responsibility. You see, he's saying, you can party. We saw this last week. You can party and enjoy God's goodness. I don't want you to be a people living in guilt. But you've also got to be aware that as you're partying, there are some people who don't have what you have. And so because there is a broken world, poverty will always be among you. That's what he says. Jesus says the same. You know, sometimes it's because of the environment. Some people's land is more fertile than other people's land. Sometimes it's because of people's own, own sin, Their own poor choices that they've made. Sometimes it's other people's sin, their greed and injustice. All of these things are going to mean that there will always be poverty in your land. But you guys, as God's people, it's your responsibility not to neglect those who are poor. I'm going to give to you so you can give and be a blessing to others. That's what he's saying. And now here's here's the challenging part. He says in verse 10, if you as my people don't do this, he says, you will have your poor brother appealing to God and you will be guilty of sin. That language is the language of the courts. It's language of a crime. Because this passage is not just about generosity, it's about justice. And what God is saying is that people... His people and being his people. It's not a private thing between me and God. The vertical relationship with God always flows out in the horizontal of the way you live. Tim Keller puts it like this He says, A lack of concern for the poor is not a minor lapse, but reveals that something is seriously wrong with one's spiritual compass, the heart. You know, Uh, I find this challenging because a few years ago, there was this story about a three-month-old Korean girl who died from malnutrition. And if she had died because there uh, there wasn't enough food to go around, we'd say that's a tragedy. But her parents had plenty of food to eat. The child died from neglect because her parents were gaming for hours every day. And it wasn't that they were kind of terrible people. They didn't mean to do it, but actually they had no idea what it meant to be parents. And neglect, no matter how good their intentions were, was a crime, and they got arrested for it. And God is saying here, and this is pretty, pretty hard, heavy stuff. He's saying, if you as my people are blessed with material possessions, and we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that all of us are rich, right? So none of us escape from this. We're blessed. And he says, you're to enjoy the blessing. Don't go on a guilt trip because you're blessed. No, you enjoy it. But we have responsibility to those who don't have it. So sin is not just about doing bad things. Sin is also neglecting to do good things when you have a respons- uh, an opportunity to do it. Okay? Okay. <laughs> In Ephesians 4, this is really, really interesting. If you go and read Ephesians 4, Paul picks up on the Ten Commandments, and he picks up on the sin of stealing. You know, do not steal. And he says this, Let the thief steal no more, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. And you think, that's great, you know? One of the solutions to stealing, and you know, if you're poor, don't steal, get a job. That's good advice, right? That's not bad advice. That's good advice. But you know what he goes on to say? He says, Get a job, so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, if God has blessed you with work, this is challenging, if God has blessed you with work, it's so that you can provide for yourself, it's so that you can provide for your family, but it's also so that you can provide for those in need. So he's saying, you have a job, have you thought about that? Your job is given as a blessing by God to you in part to be able to provide for people who don't have what you have. That's challenging. So your job is a blessing to be able to bless other people with the the fruit of that. And verse 6 also says this. The Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You'll rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. And this passage, it's, it's talking particularly about providing people uh, for, tho- for those in need within God's people. But here, he's saying that God's going to bless his people, and they're going to be the lenders and the rulers of other nations around. He's not saying, you're going to be the guys who are going to be the, the big, strong guys so that you can oppress everybody else. He says, no, I'm going to give you position and blessing So that through you, people around will be blessed. I heard um, a TV presenter who was um, normally highly critical of Christians. She's an atheist. And she was kind of lamenting the current situation of the refugees in the the States. And she said this. She said, you may not believe that I am actually saying this. But the, the church in America may be the only hope for America because they've consistently welcomed and spoken out for refugees. She was an atheist. You see, when a blessed people share that blessing with other people, it's a powerful witness to the world around in need. And the reverse is also true. If I preach a gospel message, and yet you know that I'm abusing my wife at home, you're not going to listen to anything I say. I've lost all credibility. And it doesn't matter how great the message is. If I'm doing that, I've lost your heart. I've lost your ear. But if the church in Hong Kong, if we as the church in Hong Kong only seem to be supporting ourselves indifferent to the needs of people around us, while we invest lots of money in our own programs, our own buildings, whatever we're doing, if we do that, then the gospel message will not be credible to the city around But history shows when the early church rescued babies from rubbish dumps, people noticed. When they fought against slavery, people noticed. And the gospel message backed up by deeds of serving and using what we have to bless the poor is powerful in society. That's part of God's vision for us as his church. So the second thing is there's a heart for justice, not just God's vision for justice, a heart for justice. Um, it says here, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of your towns in the land the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Okay, so he said, from the overflow of your blessings, you're to be open-handed, liberally, generously blessing as God has blessed you. That's why you cancel debts, even if it's going to be a cost to you. Don't be tight-fisted. Don't hold on to money. People matter more than money. Yet, the interesting thing is, though I know all this stuff, that's not always my first response. Do you know why? I think there's a number of things. I mentioned it already. One of the things that stops me from, from really having that heart is I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. You know, I read this, and my first thought is often, are you asking me to give to everybody? Like, everyone? Because I, I walk along in, in Central, and you know, there's, there's often beggars along the side of the rid- bridges, and I go through that thing, should I give to them? Okay, I don't know if you've had this. Should I give to them? And sometimes I've given because I feel guilty, Uh, Like, you know, I know I've got more than you, so I should give, anyway. Uh, Sometimes, um, I've not given, because I think they're probably part of a gang, or something like that. Right? It's real. Um, Sometimes, I've just ignored them, okay? And if I was to um, magnify those responses on a city level, and then on a world level, you kind of get to see that often we're paralyzed, particularly when those charity guys come up to you on the streets with their clipboards. Do you know, my instant response is like, how can I avoid them? Right? Anyone else like me? I kind of head down, straight on, I'm not, no eye contact, that kind of thing. Because I'm overwhelmed. But he's saying, you will always have the poor among you. You're not going to save the world, Chris. This church is not here to save the world. That's Jesus' job, not our job. Okay? One day he will return and bring justice and full justice to the world. That's his job. He's the savior. I'm not. But what I'm asking you, what God is asking is for a people whose heart is soft, who have eyes to see, a heart that's soft and hands that are open, and God, if we're like that as his people, God will show us who the poor, who you're poor, it says here, who you're needy, who you're, the people that you can reach out to within your context are going to be. One Bible scholar said it like this, the disposition of one's possessions signifies the dispositions of your heart. I'm not calling you to everyone, but we're calling you to someone to someone. So do you ever pray, and this is challenging, do you ever pray, God, show me who that someone might be? Show me who that people in need that I can bless might be? So we're sometimes overwhelmed. Sometimes we just don't trust God. Um, Verse 9 says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought, the seventh year is near. And basically, the seventh year is like, they're going to cancel the debts. So it's kind of, I'm going to lose my money. If I, if I lend money, I'm not going to get it back. So I'm not going to lend to this guy. And the, the idea is, if I lend to him, then I'm not going to... I, I won't have enough for myself. I've got school fees to pay. I've got to provide for myself and my family. And what he's really saying when he says this is, God's not going to keep providing me for me if I, if I am generous. God's not going to provide for me. Maybe I can't trust him. You know, there was... Um, a multi-billionaire called Ted Turner in the States. He, um, he pledged to give a billion dollars to the UN to encourage other billionaires to donate wealth. I don't know if you heard of this. Um, but years later, after his pledge, a reporter came to him and asked him, are you going to give another billion away? And his reply was, well, the price of beef is going up at the moment. Now, this is a guy who's got at least three billion dollars. And he's saying, with my other 2 or $3 billion, I'm not sure if I've got enough money in the bank to kind of account for inflation. And that's ridiculous. I mean, he's got enough to buy a whole, like, the whole of American farming, probably. But if you look at it, and we look at all that we have, do you know what? I think sometimes I do the same thing. I may not have a billion dollars, but God has blessed me. Every meal—that's what we talked about last week. Every meal is a sign of God's provision, God's grace, God's blessing to you. Do you think He's going to stop providing in the future if He's already provided in the past? He says, "No. Be generous. Trust Him. God is good. He will provide for you, so you can be open-handed." But the um, the third thing that I think. When I hear all of this stuff, do you know what I tend to feel? I just feel like there's this weight of guilt on me. You know, I feel like so much that has motivated me to do charity work and to serve people is actually just out of guilt. You know, I feel bad that I've got so much and other people don't, and I feel blessed. But the motivation here, that's not the motivation of this passage. This passage, verse 4, verse 6, verse 10, verse 18, it says this passage is about blessing, which is interesting. It's about blessing. He says, showing justice to the poor and the needy, it will free you from an impoverished spirit. This is a way for God to channel His blessing to you. Because if you want to enjoy God, if you want to enjoy His good things, then party together. That's what we said last week. If you want to enjoy God, celebrate Him, invite others to join, but then look out for those who don't have. And you know what will happen? you will just begin to see God's blessing flowing into your life. That may not be financial blessing, Mm -hmm. maybe, but it's going to be a richness in your experience of God in your life that actually is so much more exciting when you become actually the person you deep down would really want to be, a generous person, somebody who is respect, who you would love to be like. So the vision is no poor among you, The heart is not out of guilt, not just because you're overwhelmed, not just because you're like, I can't trust God, but with a trust of him for your future and realizing that God is calling you to blessing, look out to serve and give and be generous to the needy and the poor. Third thing, the power to be just, the power for justice. Verse 15. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you need to remember who you were. You were slaves in poverty in Egypt, and I rescued you. So now you reflect my saving work to others. You know so much charity work, and I've done this, is when we feel like we're the strong, confident ones, and we're the wealthy ones, and we're just going to help all the poor. We're going to rescue them from their problems. That's one of the reasons why NGO workers have such a high burnout rate, because actually when they get down to it, they realize they can't rescue the poor because there are so many different things going on. Sometimes we can so much neglect people because we feel they don't deserve to be helped. Because, the, frankly, the poor are sometimes as unrighteous as the rich, right? And we feel like we've worked hard to get what we have. But God's people of justice and neither of those? Jesus is the Savior, and that's what motivates us. I shared this um, this story a few years ago, but I think it's worth sharing again. When I was in the UK, I met a homeless guy. I called him Jim. And we tried to help him find a place to live. And um, so we had him stay at our house for a few days. And um, eventually, a friend of mine agreed to kind of put him up. And, and he, the first night he stays there, he steals 500 pounds from my friend. He runs away. Didn't see him. I called the police. Eventually, they were like, oh, we can't press charges or anything like that. And so I went to find him. Went down to a homeless shelter. And uh, I went there. I knew he was going to be there. He walks in. He sees me. His face was just like shock. And kind of like just hang his head in shame. And I told him, you know, we know what you did. We've called the police and those different things. But do you know, at the end of the day, I know there's a God who's gracious and he forgives me. So we forgive you. And I invited him for dinner. He never turned up. A few days later, um, or maybe even a week, I can't remember, or maybe a week or so later, I was cycling in this um, completely other end of town, in this kind of narrow back alley, uh, like no one goes down there. And I was cycling through, and then suddenly I see him sitting on a bench. And as I I, I saw him, I got off my bike and went over to him. And again, he saw me, and the look on his face was like shock. And he said to me, you know, I've been trying to avoid you all of this time. In fact, (laughs) and I thought this was the one place in this city that I could come to avoid you but obviously God's got something different going on here. And so from that point, we started doing Bible study with him. I invited him to stay at our house for a few days until we found him another place to go. One day I went out to work. I get a call from my housemate saying, this guy's gone and stolen my PSP. And we call the police. He gets arrested. He'd stolen some other stuff. He gets sentenced to three years in prison. Every month, I went to go and visit him in prison. Every month, we talk about Jesus. We talk about going to the chaplain and going and and sharing the gospel with him. And every month, he'd say, I'll go to see the chaplain. Every month, I went back. I'd ask him, have you been to the chaplain? He said, no. This went on for like about a year, and then I kind of began to give up. About 18 months into his term, I hadn't seen him for three or four months, I get a letter from him. The letter says, I, um, I just wanted to say that I've become a Christian and I got baptized last week um, because I was put in isolation for brewing beer inside the prison. Um, <laughs> go figure. You can tell the kind of guy Jim was. And, um, and he said, uh, and while I was in there, I remembered everything that you guys had done for me. And the grace that you had shown for me. And I realized how much a sinner I was. And so I asked God to save me. He said, later that day, the chaplain came around. And he came around and he he said, hey, um, you're getting baptized Sunday. And Jim hadn't told anyone. And he prayed his prayer. And he's like, okay, Fine. Saturday comes, the chaplain comes around again and says, hey, uh, I'm really sorry, Jim, but um, I totally mistook you for somebody else. Um, like, but do you still want to get baptized? And, and he did. And, and he gave this testimony to all of the other inmates of God's grace and faithfulness. Now, why do I tell you that story? It's not because I'm great, but it's because... Looking back, would I have done some of the same things that I did before? Maybe there's one or two things I would change, but I think I would do exactly the same. Why did Jim deserve my help? Absolutely not. Could I rescue Jim? Absolutely not. His own sin prevented him from accepting my help, really. So why love people like Jim? Why love people who are desperate in need in this different way? Because the gospel says that you and I are just like Jim. You see, God lavishes his blessing on me again and again and again. And then we steal his stuff, trying to keep it just for himself. When he says, you're tenants, I've loaned this to you, but we say, no, it's mine. And again and again, God keeps chasing after us. Showering his blessing on us, his grace and forgiveness on us, again and again and again and again, we keep holding on to it. Jesus didn't just lose a PSP, he lost his life for you and me because we're just like Jim. We were slaves to our own spiritual poverty, and God rescued us. And he blesses us with so much, not because we deserve it, but because he's gracious. And that's the kind of people that he calls us to be in this city. A people who are gracious to those who are in need. What does that look like? For each of us, that's going to look very different. Very different. Some of us are like, I'm so busy, I have so many things to do. And God is not saying, I want you to fill your timetable with a hundred things. But I want your heart to just stop. And ask yourself, do I see people? Is my heart soft? Are my hands open? The greatest education my parents gave me was never in a classroom. But it's they invited a refugee family around to my home. Week after week. They never preached to me about reaching out to the the poor and needy. I saw it. That's the greatest sermon you can give your life. There are tutoring opportunities at Ebenezer. Some of you, God has blessed you with some time or some abilities. That could be a great opportunity right here to, to teach some of the people. Thursday, sons and daughters, they go out loving and serving the sex workers on Lockhart Road. Maybe you can go. Maybe you, you're not free then, but maybe you can pray for them. Maybe you can bake goods for them. Maybe we can just get together and think about Look at our spending. I don't know if you've ever got together with somebody and said, hey, how much do I actually spend on clothes? How much do I actually spend on food and entertainment? Maybe if I just cut one meal and we set that money aside and used it to be able to give to those in need. Maybe we just need to just start to pray as a CG and say, God, open my eyes. I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know what, but my eyes and my ears are open for what you want to say. Maybe that's where we start. Last year, and I'll close with this, I was walking back from the community center, um, the old community center on Bonham Road, and I saw this guy walking towards me. He looked at me. I looked at him. It's one of those kind of awkward moments, you know. Um, And I was like, kind of, should I stop and be friendly, or should I just kind of ignore him? But I I kind of, I I said hi, and he kind of said hi. And um, he then said to me, do you know a church near here? And I was like... I don't have random strangers just coming up to me asking me that. Um, and um, he, he, I found out he was a Sudanese guy. He said, I've just come over from China, and there was money that was meant to be wired to me today. It hasn't come through, and I've literally got nothing this night. Like, tomorrow morning, stuff should be come through, and, um, but, but I've got nothing right now. And, and at that point, I'm going, yeah, I've heard so many stories. <laughs> like, Seriously. I know how this works. Um, and I asked him a few more questions. We chatted for a while. And um, I'm kind of in this, should I give, should I not, should I give, should I not. Um, and then I'm like, okay, it's I, I, $20. I said, there's, there's a McDonald's. I had to go out later. But I said, hey, if you want to stay the night, there's a, there's a McDonald's. There's a 24-hour McDonald's down the road. Okay. And here's $20 or $30, whatever it was. Buy yourself something, you can hang out there. And do you know what happened? At that moment, he just burst into tears. Like literally, his face just started streaming with tears. And do you know what he said to me? He said, I've been around to so many churches, and all of them said they couldn't help me. And he said, I thought that God had abandoned me. But now I know that he hasn't. And I wonder how many people there are in this city that think that God has abandoned them. Because I just haven't stopped to think, to pray, to ask God, show me who it is. Who's that someone you want me to reach? And yet God has us here as his people, not just to be a busy people running around doing lots of stuff, but to see who are the people within the church we need to love. But outside, people whose eyes are open, whose heart is soft, and whose hands are open to say, God, may I bless people here so that they might know that you have not abandoned them, but that you came to rescue them and pray. <clears throat> Father, this is a, a heavy topic in many ways, but it does cut right to the heart of my own sense of um, comfort and sense of responsibility. I pray for us as a church. Make us this kind of people that you call us to be. Change our hearts don't let us go away from here feeling just guilty that we're not done enough. Let us go away here with just that heart saying, God, change my heart. Open my eyes. Open my hands. Show me. I pray that you'd make us a people who know how to bless those around us, who know the riches that you've lavished on us, and will freely, openly bless those around us with wisdom but with compassion. In Jesus' name.